Welcome to another episode of National Energy Talk. I'm Mark Stansberry. When I think of energy, and especially in North Dakota, I think about the ESG University. When I think of activity across the U.S. when it comes to journalism and in regard to energy, I think of Jason Spees. He's a he's a columnist and a a, a editor, a, a contributing editor to Woman Magazine, which we both share that title. And uh, we, we have been working together that way for several years, but recently matched up on uh, episodes together. And so, Jason, welcome to National Energy Talk. Well, thank you very much for having me here on uh, this prestigious national program. Well, I appreciate that. And they talk about prestige, <laughs> uh, the crude life, which you have, and plus other things you're doing as far as episodes and and podcasts and radio shows, and, and you travel across the whole U.S. I mean, every time I'm visiting with you, you're at another conference or another event, and you give speeches and all these different things, and you keep plugged into the industry very in a great way. And I, I really appreciate all your efforts. I really thank you for being a leader in getting the dialogue. You know, we don't always have to agree, but we need to dialogue and, and find ways to come up with solutions. And and, and you've, you've done that with like ESG and and uh, in some of the other areas, I know you were in agriculture back uh, in the day and how you can take agriculture and tie it to the energy industry and how we can support that as well. And so uh, I really want to talk to you about the future of, of energy. And it, it's a challenge. You know, here we are, you know, when we come to uh, the, the different opportunities we have, uh, there's a lot of setbacks going on as well, but there's a lot of challenges but a lot of opportunities ahead i'm i'm actually optimistic about our future but at the same time it's uh you know when you see the uh opec uh, every day uh, stepping forward on what they're going to do and, and what we're looking at doing here in the u.s wow what is our future how do you look at it well it's the, the future can go a couple different ways you know it's it's interesting listening to you talk about um you know that introduction and my mind started going 15 different ways, every half sentence you were talking about, because there is a lot of change happening right now. And, you know, you mentioned the, the agriculture, that's a big topic that we're talking about heavy going into next year, which is, is energy. And I say energy as opposed to oil and gas, because energy right now is all the same, according to pretty much any government agency or economic sector. In fact, I think they even classify it under mining, to be honest. So, I mean, just to give you a little bit more of a classification, but in the world of energy, when you look at it in a comparison to ag, yes, I come from ag by osmosis, meaning that my family was in ag. And, and so all of my Sunday dinners at grandma's and Thanksgivings and, and, and uh, Christmases and baptisms and all kinds of different things like that. I heard the farmer complaining about how nobody understands where their food comes from. Boy, I hear those same conversations right now when I go to an oil and gas conference from an oil and gas worker about how nobody understands where their energy comes from. So the the similarity is there 100%. Now, let's even go a step further, take that onion back another layer and take a look at the government interaction. In the world of agriculture, it's really difficult to go out and plant what you want. You have to plant corn. You have to plant soy. Over here, you get to plant cotton. Over here, you can't grow hemp. 
oh no, in this state you can grow hemp, but only on this side of the street on a Tuesday when it's raining. So, I mean, the agriculture industry is completely controlled all the way down, and nobody likes hearing this, to really Monsanto owns like 99% of the market. So if the energy industry wants to continue down that way with Royal Dutch Shell and a few other British Petroleum and a few other major global companies, well, that's the way the oil and gas industry is going to go. In fact, U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer coming on our program for our annual year in review and outlook. And last year, I asked him the question. I said, if we go down this path, we're going down right now. This was last December, mind you. I asked uh, Senator, U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer this question. I said, if we go down this path, boy, I tell you what, at the end of uh, 2021, 2022, we might have a dozen companies controlling 90% of the energy market or the oil and gas market out there. And he said, Jason, try three or four. So that was a U.S. Senator Trump and me beyond belief with, you know, a little bit of exaggeration to prove a point, but that's the way we're going. The consolidation's happening that way. And COVID really uh, sped up a lot of it. So when we're talking about subsidies, what just happened through COVID was a subsidy. A lot of different companies they went and they got their COVID money and they this and that. That was a subsidy at the end of the day. So if they took it through a back door or whatever the case is, going forward is going to be interesting because the renewable market is subsidized to the point where it doesn't matter if you don't hit your milestones, you get a raise and you get more money. So the renewable industry has shown how subsidizing the energy market works is that they don't talk about it, but they do it. So if that's going to happen to the oil and gas industry, they should probably wake up and understand it's happening a lot faster than they think because it already happened to agriculture. It's a challenge that, you know, there's a, the energy transition that we keep hearing about, and it's so complex in the sense of oil and gas, renewables, hydrogen. Uh, and really, if you were looking at no emissions, no emission issue, you look at nuclear. And uh, yet that doesn't seem to come to the forefront at all. No, I actually, I believe nuclear and hydro are considered renewable at the end of the day. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and they never are discussed, are never discussed in any discussions about renewable. But I know hydro is. Nuclear goes back and forth depending on who you talk to because of, uh, you know, once it's done, it, there's no, you know, it's just sustainable. It's just the waste you got to worry about. So, uh, but yeah, nu nuclear has uh, gets a little bit more of a bad PR rap, but at the end of the day, nuclear is one of the more cleaner options. Hydrogen, that's an interesting model. That's a, that seems a little bit like a, a more of a money um, infrastructure type of a, a movement than anything else. I'll tell you this ESG movement. People better watch out. Tell me about your perspective on that because. You know, we've talked about it on, on your show from my perspective. I've not really heard yours. They better get ahead of it. Um, so we've been covering ESG since 2015. So out in the Bakken, we had, uh, we have, it's not past tense, it's, it's still current, uh, Meridian Energy Group and their CEO is a very big proponent of transparency and ESG and not so much about whether he believes in you know, the ESG movement, he understands the necessity for transparency because they're building this refinery within a stone's throw to a national park. 
Theodore Roosevelt National Park. So they're getting all, I'm, this is no kidding. When they did public comments, they had over 11,000 public comments against them that were all the same thing. So that's a copy and paste robot right there. They had to actually respond back to all those. That was like four months of attorneys just hitting copy and paste back to a robot, hitting that copy and paste to them. Because this environmental movement is very well-funded, very well-organized, and they know what they're doing. They know the new normal we were talking about in 2016 is if, if you want to do a project, you got to add a year to the end date and attorneys in between. I'm just hearing people talking about that now. We've been talking about that 2015 and 16 as the new normal because that's the way it is. So when we're talking about the ESG movement, by default, we did an ESG weekly update because the, the uh, CEO, William Prentice of Meridian Energy Group, he wanted to be transparent. So he made sure that we had on Dan Hedrington, the project manager from SEE every week, or um, I, I forget the gentleman's name from uh, Zia Engineering out of New Mexico. These are the forefront leaders when it comes to the environmental energy movement. And we actually had a different name than ESG back then. It was a four-letter acronym back in 2015 we were kind of using because, you know, ESG is marketing at the end of the day. And this is where I'm telling people they better watch out because this ESG movement, th this is not puppies and kittens for the oil and gas industry. No, this is like a backward smoking ban on the oil and gas industry. So if they don't understand how to get a hold of the narrative and they just want to profit off it and they're just going to keep doing business with the same people that got them into this problem, then... Then we're going to end up with a Monsanto-like industry where a handful of companies really do control 99% of the market because through ESG, here's how intrusive ESG can be. Now, there's a lot of good that can come out of it and that you can actually make money. Now, you might only make 15 or 20% and not your 100% like you've been used to the last 10 years. You might have to go back to the 90s and make you know, 10% at the end of the year and be happy with it. But what the ESG movement can do is it can tell you whether you're vaccinated or not. So just to give you an idea how intrusive it can get, and I'm not even trying to be political. I'm just trying to say all of a sudden, because of the ESG movement, whether you do business in oil and gas can depend on whether you're vaccinated or not. Well, that's a little unusual, isn't it? Out of nowhere. And, and that could be ushered in through the ESG movement. And there's, you know, there's, there's questions like, you know, what's your average water consumption? And that's usually the question I, I bring to organizations. Like, if you want to ask yourself about ESG, okay, how much water do you use in a year? And if you can't answer that, then you're not going to be ESG compliant. And by the way, the SEC already has a task force made. So this is happening. This is happening. And, and I'm telling people, listen, if, you, if, if you're not already, if you don't already have an ESG audit done on your organization, you're, you're behind because, not, and, and then they're just going to give you one soon. So it's, it, it, it's, it's a time where the energy industry needs, to, they're actually kind of being their, their own worst enemy right now. We've talked about it on your show of saying it's time to embrace. That doesn't mean everything's exactly the way that we'd like to describe it on the on the details of ESG, but it but to embrace means, like you said, take the lead 
and make sure that uh, there's documentation, that everything's in order the best way possible. And one area area that could be a benefit for all of us is looking at emissions. And 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 when I say that, we already are. I mean, it taking a lead in the oil and gas industry when it comes to greenhouse gases, emissions, and so forth. Uh, do we need to work uh, even stronger on that area? I believe so. But tell me about your view on that. You know, here we have, you know, greenhouse gases, emissions, sequestration. Are we going to meet the challenge there? I believe the challenge will be met. I believe the challenge was being met. It's interesting for me being in Fargo, North Dakota, because, you know, we're, we're like the Austin, Texas and the Boulder, Colorado of North Dakota. We're, the, the oil and gas is not well received where I'm at. In fact, um, if I, if, when I go to a dinner party tonight, I've actually had people tell me, you know, don't talk about oil and gas. It's too much of a trigger around Fargo. It is. It is. It's just the way it is. And, and that's cool. I get it. I don't care. That's fine. I, that's, you know, to each their own. And I've got certain topics that I don't want brought up around my house too. And whatever, that's, that's, that's all good. Um, but at, you know, one-on-one, it gives you, it gives you some, some good opportunities and we don't come in with any polarizing, um, uh, messages, but her, you know, her point is, is that it's, there's certain topics right now that are. So with that being said, Here's how we meet the challenge is this challenge has been brought to other industries before, you know, and, and I look at like coal, you know, there's still people mining coal. And what happened though, is that coal became a NIMBY, not in my backyard. NIMBY. It's a, it's a classic argument for local, for local talk radio. I don't want that hog rendering plant in my backyard. Go put it over in Wolverton town, you know? And, and that's, that's, that's fine. So, and that's what's happening in Colorado and in Los Angeles. Okay, with the oil and gas industry, it started in Los Angeles. We don't want to see that oil well, so build a fake school around it. And in Colorado, uh, soccer moms didn't like seeing it. So all of a sudden now we got to build a wall around it because it's a blight. So what's happening with oil and gas is a lot like what happened with coal. It's got to be like out of sight, out of mind. So the Permian's going to be doing fabulous over the next 30 years because there ain't anybody down in the Permian unless you're doing oil and gas. That is a desert. That's a desert. You can't grow any crops out there. You can't. There's there's little agriculture uh, as far as ranching, and the only reason ranching is there is because oil and gas is there. So uh, the the desert type oil and gas stuff will do just fine because oil and gas industry ain't going anywhere. So the public relations has to change. That's where the ESG really comes in. Emission management. You, you take a look at a lot of these flares. That's, I mean, that's really not much in the grand scheme of things compared to some of the other stuff. If you want to get serious about different conversations, we could have a conversation that instead of regulating every oil and gas company to do X, Y, Z, you could force every single person to build their house facing south going forward. And that would eliminate 50% of the energy bills. So we're having, we're having picky and choosy conversations about how we want to combat climate change, if you will, global warming, global cooling, uh, et cetera, when it comes to that whole thing. So the ESG really is about the narrative. It's another way to control. It's another way for public relations. Uh, there, you know, the, the, the energy industry has been decarbonizing for over 150 years on its own. We started with wood and hay. And when you take a look at the molecules 
on wood and hay, there's a lot of carbon molecules in with wood and hay. And then after that, we, we started, for some reason, we decided to go out and kill whales. And we, for, for some weird reason, we almost got the whales extinct because we wanted to keep our lights on. Well, we as a species said, well, that just doesn't sit well with us. That's a living creature. So then we went to coal. Well, coal still has a lot of those dirty carbon molecules that happen to be the building block of life, by the way. Carbon is the building block of life. Let's not forget that. It's not the boogeyman. But we went from coal, and then we went to crude oil. And now we're down to natural gas. And natural gas has got like one, two, four, depending on the different type of natural gas. We have done a tremendous job decarbonizing over the last 150 years, long before Greta Thunberg came along, long before the Sierra Club came along. Humans as a species do decarbonize. Now, there are accidents that happen, the Exxon Valdez and the BP but guess what? Those happen so few and bar- far between that it creates an industry to be overly proactive on things. And they, not, they aren't rejecting double tanker bladders and things like that. And, and the, the, the new regulations that came out of the BP accident. And keep in mind, when you, the agriculture industry was by far the most dangerous ag uh, industry for 50 years. No one ever talked about it because it was, it was subsidized but it was by far the most dangerous industry. The energy industry has a big accident every 20, 30 years, and that's it. That's pretty good. I mean, whether you want to talk about Three Mile Island or you want to talk about the Exxon Valdez or these progressive energy movements that we do, you do have a oops every now and then. But if that's what happens every 20 to 30 years versus some of the other stuff, it, it, it's an okay natural evolution that we've done, in my opinion. And I'm not paid by the oil. A lot of people around Fargo always say, well, you're just paid off by the oil companies. No, actually, no. I'm following the journalism and the science. That's where I've gotten to where I am today. It's not because I'm getting paid by anybody. In fact, I haven't gotten any money from oil companies. So we're, we're actually doing this because of the market that's out there, that our audience has grown from a, a listener standpoint and a engagement standpoint, because I'm an entrepreneur, we just keep going on that. So, um, so I, I, I think the uh, missions management is going to be kind of the first round, you know, um, you know, it's going to be fine if you want to plant trees and if you want to go get a butterfly uh, uh, bird thing going, and if you want to do meatless Mondays, but the, the real push from a national standpoint is going to be a mission management and they're going to tackle it a lot like they do cancers. So, you know, this cancer is all of a sudden the one that's a national spotlight. And the next year it's diabetes. And then the next year it's colon cancer. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the health industry, how they'll champion a certain uh, health cause for a year. That's, I believe, what's going to happen with ESG. They're going to pick their, you know, their publicly accepted shaming and go at it and make, make companies <laughs> submit to becoming more emission friendly and things like that. So, uh How's that for a little opinionated today? Well, I tell you what, those that are listening uh, definitely like to hear from you and definitely uh, go to markstansbury.com and send an email about any questions you may have or comments and really would appreciate that. Tell me about, tell us about your audience and uh, what, uh, tell us about the crude life because how do people, you know, that don't listen to it, how can they get engaged? And uh, tell us about what you're trying to do 
not in completing 2021, but into 2022 and beyond? What what can we expect from Jason Spies and the crude life? Well, we like to do a little bit of, uh, first of all, some existential energy, which is the 5,000-foot view of the 5,000-foot view. So we like to have some high-level talks to get people um, plugged in and, and uh, uh, prepared, if you will. Uh, and that's the entrepreneur in me. And if you go to thecrudelife.com, we post all of our interviews there. So you can listen to them right at The Crude Life. You can go to iHeart or you can go to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever one. You know, you, you like, actually, I do not believe we're on Spotify because you got to pay to be on Spotify. So we're not there. Uh, but otherwise, you know, you can find us anywhere. We're not hard to find. I just tell people go to the crudelife.com because it, you can, you know, go from there. And we have a search right there at the website. So if you're looking for any specific keyword or person, you can certainly do that. But uh, we're going to be talking about number one uh, is, is ag. I'm sorry, is, um, um, the energy industry becoming ag 2.0. So we've got, you know, U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer, as well as others coming on. I'm going to be going on some national platforms starting next year as well with this topic. So we are going to bring this, this conversation to the national platforms, whether it be a Newsmax or a Fox or something like that. Right now, we're just in the, in the final stages of working those details out for next year. And then also another one of our topics that we're currently having that we're going to spill into next year is, is $100 oil, the new $50 oil. And we started having this conversation about three months ago because uh, back in February, we had Dr. Lauren Scott on. Dr. Lauren Scott writes the economic forecast for the state of Louisiana. He's, um, he's, he's a heavyweight in the world of energy, uh, economic policy. He's done consulting for the Royal... Dutch Saudi Arabia family, all these different things. And, and he was talking about supply chain issues back in February. Okay. So when we talk about existential energy, we're talking about supply chain issues in February, and they're just talking about it now. Well, the day after the election, I called it the Jimmy Carter era. In fact, we're going to post this, uh, post a, um, a house ad over the weekend with a transcript about the Jimmy Carter era. And, you know, eight months later, the national media is talking about, is this the Jimmy Carter era? Well, the signs are already there. So is $100 oil the new $50 oil? Maybe it's $60 oil. Maybe it's $70 oil. But $100 oil is not $100 oil anymore because inflation, because of uh, regulations, because of COVID, there is a four, five person punch or economy punch coming at the energy industry to say, boy, $100 oil isn't the bonanza and frenzy like it was before. And business owners need to be prepared for that. Because if, if they're, you know, used to, you know, champagne and caviar at $100 oil, they better get ready to Coca-Cola and pork and beans, baby, because that might be the way it's going to be for a little while. Mm-hmm. Well, the energy transition is uh, definitely a long-term process that uh, many don't realize. I don't believe that uh, anytime you talk about uh, eliminating oil and gas, um, yes, maybe that is the future, but it takes a uh, maintaining or maintenance of what we have already. And so I always, I came up with a theme in 1992, Jason, was called Striving for Energy Efficiency and Environmental Preservation because I thought natural gas would be uh, what people were talking about then and do now, a bridge fuel. 
but the bridge fuel is even not discussed as much as it was because of the uh, methane emissions. But I believe that uh, we definitely, like you say, I look around a room. Uh, I know we've talked about it many times. There's hardly anything that doesn't touch us when it comes to plastics and other things that oil and gas, you know, fertilizers, you name it. And so oil and gas is around. Uh, what percentage that'll be in the future? Who knows? Uh, I, I I campaign on the uh, and when I say campaign for America needs America's energy and that it's all America needs America's energy and energy all forms all America. And uh, it's a matter of how we go about it. And I really appreciate everything you're saying as far as getting us to to think uh, and to dialogue. Uh, whether we whether you agree or disagree with Jason, we want to hear from uh, and uh, hear from me if you same way if you disagree or agree with me. Uh, because that's the dialogue. You can. Uh, we need facts. Uh, we need to be corrected when we're not right. We need to be supportive when we are to get the right message out. So uh, don't hesitate to, again, go to uh, markstansbury.com and uh, go to the email. Uh, we'd love to have your comments. We have a blog and also uh, columns on there as well. So, Jason, thank you for being on National Energy Talk. I hope you'll come back soon. Uh, we'd like to continue a dialogue in 2022 with you uh, at least every quarter or so uh, to see what's going on with Jason and, and the creed life and other things you're doing on a national level, as well as on a regional and state level. Thank you, Jason, for being on national energy talk. Any final words? No, I appreciate it very much. And I look forward to any and all future conversations. These are the types of discussions I love having with you, Mark. So I appreciate you having me on the program. Well, thank you. And again, thank you, uh, listeners, to listening to National Energy Talk. I hope you'll listen to future episodes. Thank you again, Jason. Thank you.